Okay, okay, okay. We're back. Formerly known as Black Guys in a Box. Now known as Black in a Box Podcast. And as you will see, Alana's got her fingers in the air. You won't see because this is mainly an audio-based podcast. Bam, 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 bam. Alana. There you go. Long-time member. One-time contributor before she forced her way in. She's forced <laughs> the name change as the conscience of the group. And that is the story that we're going with. Um, I think it's also important, Dan, that we say that, you know, Nate and Dom have not taken the news well, so they're sitting out today. Mm. That is the official, that is now official canon that they uh, they have set out to protest uh, the name change. And it's not because uh, Dom is up with family and Nate has a migraine. It is because they are disgusted by the political correctness that has now infected this yeah. podcast. They refuse to concede. They refuse to concede. <laughs> I concede nothing! <laughs> As Angelo just mentioned, there are just three of us here today. Uh, Angelo, how are you? Uh, I am on the most smoke, but I'm holding. I'm holding it back for the next one. This is purely U.S. election, but uh, I am Dillian White. You know when Dillian White says, "I am the can man." Anybody that wants it can get it, and that's how I'm feeling right now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I've been holding this man back. He's been straining at the leash. I, again, you can't see behind him. He's got the Lewis Hamilton backdrop. <laughs> Hamilton's just gone seven for. Just gone seven foot after breaking the pole record a few weeks ago. I'm not saying anything on it. I'm saving it all um, for next week. I'm saving it all for next week. Congratulations, Lewis. But I'll have some bars for people next time. Shout out, Lou Ham. You're not going to be waiting long. And Alana, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing very well. Um, I'm just come off the, the wave of the election results, the highs, the lows. Uh, and now that the, the dust has settled a bit, I'm ready to, to get back to work because still a lot of work to be done. Well, I mean, you, you say that the dust has settled. <laughs> a, a bit, a bit, a bit. I, I should say the excitement has settled. The excitement has settled, at least for me personally. So can we go a little bit behind the uh, camera here? So we were, um, we said, look, let's uh, push the uh, recording of this back a little bit just so that we kind of definitively know everything that's happening with the US election and as of recording time we are yeah. two hours post Donald Trump in full kind of uh, cocaine regalia uh, just tweeting I concede nothing which I'm now going to be using <laughs> in so many things so this is going to be fun this is going to be a lot of fun but this is it. I mean, what what do I know? What an idiot I am. Yeah, let's push it back a few days. Maybe a couple more counsel come in. Someone would have talked him down off the ledge. What an idiot I am. But in a past life, I was a, a breaking news journalist. And I remember in 2016, I went to the Berlin Bureau, which was a central bureau for the agency that was working at the time. And we covered the US election. And there was so much hope. And people seemed to think that despite everything, Hillary Clinton would have enough to get it done and they had loads of like US cakes with like stars and stripes and there's loads of positivity you know we can get on with building on Obama's legacy and it very, very quickly became clear that that wasn't how things were going to go fast forward four years and 
Um, it's been an event for four years, but after this election, Donald projected to to lose. You know, he's he's filed fifteen legal suits uh, disputing election results in different states. He's lost all fifteen, every single one in his courts, packed by his judges. Um, so yeah, we're we're still in this sort of weird stasis. I I'd, I'd call it where everyone's kind of hoping he will go in January when he kind of has to go, and. Biden's people sort of getting on with it and not saying anything publicly and Donald's as intransigent as ever. So I guess I'd pass over to you, Alana. Um, how how you feel at the minute? Does, does this feel like a victory? Does this feel like it's anything approaching like any kind of resolution or complete? How does this feel? It certainly does not feel resolved. It doesn't feel complete. Um... I don't know. There are so many mixed emotions because I think going into the election, I it was the complete opposite of how I felt in 2016, which was the same, yeah, full of hope, thought Hillary was going to win, and then swiftly started to free fall into the fascist hell that we found ourselves in uh, over the, la- the last four years. So going into this election, um, I really tried to stay positive and hopeful. However... I really um, had a lot of doubt. I, I, I really didn't think I, I really didn't think Biden was going to even have a lead at all. I thought that Trump was definitely going to get a second term. Um, so there was the initial excitement of the results that we have to date, um, but it also comes with the understanding that you know I'm not really a, a fan of Joe Biden or Kamala. Um, I think both of them have very wishy-washy politics. Uh, I don't know. A lot remains to be seen in terms of what this presidency will be and what it can become. Um, So I'm very dubious, but I am just happy to not have to deal with Trump anymore. (laughs) Hopefully. Well, you know, we'll still have to deal with him for like probably in the next few weeks. Because, um, as we said, he concedes nothing. But, yeah. Angelo? So, um, I've seen a lot of variations of the tweet that says, um, I'm allowed to be happy that, uh, or I'm allowed to be relieved that Trump won without necessarily being happy that uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are going to be uh, the president and vice president of the United States. And that's basically where I am. Um, I found it really interesting. I was going to save this for later, but I'll put it in now, that um, Obama's going on a media blitz about um, his new book where he's kind of said that the idea of him as a black man in office spooked enough people to lay the groundwork for Donald Trump to be president. And I fundamentally disagree with that. I think the promise of change that he talked about in two elections versus what he delivered in terms of widening inequality, the increasing of um, the US military capability, particularly with regards to drones, um, the fact that he was criticized by a number of humanitarian agencies for things that he did inside and outside of America. That is the reason that kind of his legacy, that's how his legacy kind of laid the groundwork. Trump capitalized on the animus of lots of people who live 
in what is constantly called the greatest country in the world, but we're not feeling the effects of it. And, you know, I kind of delved into history doing my uh, MA, and it's very similar to attitudes in uh, England during the Victorian era, during the Industrial Revolution, where you're constantly being told you're with this great empire, but you're living in smog, you're living with reduced life opportunities. Um, so for me on the outside looking in, the the point where I didn't think, I thought Biden would win the popular vote by more than Hillary did, but still lose the Electoral College. That's, that's kind of how I thought it would play out. Um, and it wouldn't have surprised me because for all that I've just said about Obama, he still was an inspiring candidate. And the fact that at the top of the Democratic ticket, you've got... Joe Biden, 77. You've got Dianne Feinstein, who's in her 80s. You've got Nancy Pelosi, who's in her 80s. You've got Steny Hoyer, who's in his late 70s. And they're wondering why they are not kind of seeing the transformative change that Trump's politics would suggest that you can. And it's probably because your party is run by scepter and octogenarian. So happy that Trump might be gone, although I, I just put nothing past him and the people that he's installed but not happy that kind of Biden's message was both I'm not Trump and we're going to get back to the same conditions that laid the groundwork for Trump in the first place. What about you, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I agree with uh, a lot of what you just said there. And it's interesting, like, post... Um, we're now sort of post-rationalising by saying it's it's time for the like the left to forgive... The Trump voters, and it's time for parts of the left, the left part of the, the Democratic Democratic Party, to sort of just let Joe Biden run the show and have some space to do what he needs to do. And it's like, well, it it feels like it's sort of at a grief session run by your own abuser here. It's like it's, it, I I don't I fundamentally do not agree that this is the this is the time for us for them to start sort of navel gazing and say let's have some time to, to to move away let's have some time to to make the changes we need to make to change no it was it was it was closer than it should have been and we'll go into this sort of later on so it it's i i don't think america is out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination whatsoever um and i think that's basically what this sort of wrap-up podcast is about um, um you know we, we want to talk about what's the reaction of trump support signal in terms of the health of american democracy well, for me, there are a number of different aspects to that. One, I'm, I'm, it's Trump supporters. Like, I'm not really worried. I know there's a lot of people saying they're taking to the streets, and you're seeing footage of them at rallies and stuff, and you're seeing proud boys, people walking around with guns. Don't worry about them. Do not worry about those people. The Karens, the Infowars crowd, like the guys wearing wraparound Oakleys in car selfies on Twitters in their avi, they do not have the stomach for any kind of right or insurrection. So, you know, they're the weekend fair with the marches. So don't you know? Don't worry about that. The, the, the people out in Portland who were getting assaulted by police, bundled into unmarked vans, tear gassed, like night and day for four or five months. Those are the people who are willing to do what they did because they believed in America and they believed in the democracy and they believed it could be better. These Trump fans largely do not. But I think we're actually witnessing the sort of the death of American democracy, despite that win, because it isn't the reaction of Trump supporters that needs to be addressed. It's the reaction of his surrogates and others in the Republican parties who are now so morally compromised by what they've done in the last four years to to cling on to power that they cannot 
they, they, they cover power above any kind of American constitutional idea, warped or otherwise. And I think that is the problem that they're going to have to deal with, even if the Democrats win. That's, that is what we're sort of heading towards. So if the, if the Democrats want to get anything done, they're going to have to extend a hand to those people. And that is, that is a very, very worrying state of affairs. Yeah, because I don't know, it's just a mess. I mean, to be honest, you've made a couple of points here where I think, yeah, you happen to, to extend a hand to people and then there are people within the Republican Party who were, you know, November 3rd, seeing counts come in, were already starting to distance themselves from Trump. Um, so there's a lot of backpedaling, but then in the Republican Party and on the conservative side, but then there's also a lot of like doubling down um, in the Democratic Party, which let's be honest, is not very far left at all, like quite, quite moderate. And in some ways, I think actually quite conservative. Um, I, I, I feel like people should be clear. And I think that Biden and his team should be very clear on the fact that he wasn't elected because people really believed in him people and i want to be specific but black and brown people galvanized to get him elected to hopefully open the door for a better future and those are the same people who have over the last several years lost a lot of faith in the democratic party so for the health and strength and survival of the Democratic Party, they need to deliver on the promises that were made to those black and brown folks that got them elected and save the day once again for all America. You're welcome. Well, this is it, though. I don't think it has as that. I'm I'm completely with you. Dan. I don't think it has saved the day. The, the truth of the matter is, is when you've got a country with nine figures worth of people, only having two political parties is completely asinine. It makes no sense whatsoever. But also the recriminations and the fight against the left started really early where they were saying, you know, because we, you know, people like AOC moved us too far to the left. And it's like, well, as AOC said, every single person, that, and Bernie Sanders made the same point, every single person that signed on as a co-sponsor of the Green New Deal won re-election. Um, and the problem is, is that transformative change on both sides mean that the current people that are playing this game that we call politics are going to be out the door. And I think they would rather Rome burn and they kind of be sitting in a kind of box seat than have that transformative change. So I am not hopeful uh, that this is a new day or that we have saved anything. Um, but that's just my two cents. What I have, what you have seen uh, with the, the likes of AOC sort of spark this and through Stacey Abrams is an understanding. This is what this is the, the most this is the most annoying thing about the Democratic Party in the US that they have that we don't necessarily have in the UK is the people that they have on the ground in the party running these campaigns locally are the most talented people the most talented people in American politics and you see like what Stacey Abrams have done and they're all quick to like hold her arm up in the air when they've won and say oh this is fantastic and then if you were to go to them now and say actually but now we need real change it's like as, as Angelo says real change means we need to get some of these 80 year olds and 79 year olds and 77 year olds out of there which they, they do need to go and I, I think that there is talent there it's just what damage are they going to do for the future of the party for the next two, three elections um, before they do accept that it's time for them to move on. 
And also, let's be let's be let's keep it real. Um, looking at how close this election was in those key battleground states, excepting of course that it seems that Joe Biden won by five million in the popular vote. Um, if the pandemic hadn't have come, Trump would have won a second term. So we can't be saying, oh, this is a great day for America and America's soul has been restored when it took a literal once in a generation event to kind of get people to go, do you know what, I can't go along with his brand of racism, sexism, homophobia, classism. Because people were willing to vote that in. It was just, it, it actually might lead to us dying if we do so. And now, of course, the, the counter-argument to that is that him being in power made it more likely that these once-in-a-generation events would be happening over and over again. But, you know, ask any person that's uh, involved in climate science if they think that America rejoining the Paris Climate Accord is going to make any tangible difference. And they will tell you no. So, and it's this idea of... It just... It's so wild to for Joe Biden to basically be saying, let's go back to the conditions that created, that made it possible for Donald Trump to be here. Because the Republican Party are like, right, so we can get away with being... Yeah, because what the, the Republican Party, if they're smart, will go, we can get away with the most shit. We just need somebody slightly more competent than Donald Trump. Not a lot more, but slightly more competent, who can usher in all this stuff, but do it without shitting the bed. No, I was just going to say, and that is exactly the danger. And that is what I'm most worried for is looking at what is the shit that's been able to been pulled over the last four years and the lessons that the, you know, Republicans are learning from this experience and what is going to happen in the future. Like, what are the long term implications of everything that we've just been through? And that's a really worrying thing. I think you'd have been better off with another four years of Trump when I when I say this and I don't like saying this but it's true because the fact is a lot of the things he's voting base like despite what people say about them and what people think about them they largely care about they they've, they've got very like they care about jobs primarily they care about jobs someone's taken out someone's taken my jobs and they very like simple things like they, it's weird that they don't care about healthcare but they do care about jobs and essentially staying alive which is you know this this pandemic didn't help them on that front but things that he did like the adjusting the sort of tax where he staggered it so in three years time they've most of his voters their tax is going to go up it's gone up massively this year and they won't feel people feel that in the pocket until this year until next year and the tax cuts for the rich that's sort of being they've felt that for the last couple of years so it just how uh trump benefited from Obama, his measures bringing the unemployment levels down and down and down and black unemployment levels down and down and down. Anything that happens now for the next two years, it, you can't undo, you can't put the genie back in the bottle, which is why you are right, Angela, in saying that just thinking you can go, you can have an executive order which undoes the things that were done this year is going to change things. It's not. The, the country was sliding a long time before that. What, what do want to sort of touch on here, and it, this is it's, this was key in the sort of battleground state of Georgia, and the way Stacey Abrams did. She ran for the Senate, and the big thing she complained about it was a tight race there, and she complained that I, she never really conceded, although she accepted the other uh, the person she was up against had won, and her issue there was like just the disenfranchisement among black voters cost her. She spent four years 
on the ground, knocking on doors, getting people registered. She registered 800,000 people to vote, and she's won by, what, 11,000 votes or something? 15,000 votes? Um, she did that. She did that in, in that district. And this is what I worry about now, because you saw this before the election when Trump was talking about mail-in ballots. They're not safe. Get down there in person. What happened? COVID happened. It's not their safe to get down in person. So these mail-in ballots then became a lot more important. And as you've seen the way they treated them, don't let them count up front because they know that Democrats traditionally dominate the mail-in ballots. So you don't want to give the impression that someone the Democrats are like winning by a mile. So that's all these races where it's like, oh, Biden's coming from behind. No, the votes were actually cast before. So he would have won just by, by even more. But... Yeah, you've seen this, and now we're we're now at a point where you've got senior Republicans, you've got people like just sewer dwellers like Newt Gingrich and the, the sort of Fox crowd going on TV seriously debating the future of mail-in ballots because it returned a decision and uh, a president that they didn't like. They're talking about this seriously, as though it's a serious. There's an issue with it, or despite being told that in actual fact the election officials say it's the most secure election that has ever been held in the US. They repeat, completely repudiating Trump's, Trump's claims. And it goes, I say it goes back to those 15 uh, lawsuits he's had which have all been thrown out. So I worry, again, this is why I'm saying we, we, we could be seeing the death of American democracy. It points towards greater voter disenfranchisement, and we know that's going to skew in already gerrymandered areas to making sure these black people cannot vote again. Yeah. So then what is the I mean, what is the what is the conclusion of that then? Is it just like America is just on a course to destruction? And like that's I mean, is this really are we just witnessing like the end of, you know, the the facade of American democracy? Because let's be honest, it's never been perfect and it's never been fair and it's really never been a democracy. It's just um, something that we talk about now uh, because it's discussed in the media and, you know, um, uh, front page news, but I mean, without, uh, I mean, sans revolution, like what, what is it? I think it's going to take, it's going to take someone brave. It's going to take someone brave and it's going to take to convince the people at the top of the Republican party, for instance, that America is at stake. Like this is a problem with near misses. You live to tell the tale. And this is going to be a near miss. You've got it. It might have to crash and burn or hit the bottom because there's nothing in this election which is going to convince people that they need to change. Uh, Which is weird when you when you actually look at the election, you look at America for the last five years. For this not to be a lesson for for a nation is you know it's it's pretty. I mean, we have pretty staggering. An openly white supremacist, fascist, rapist old man as a president and that's still not enough to get people to to not vote for him (laughs) i will say that these rappers that came out for trump even more than how it feels like a betrayal of black people it feels more specifically a betrayal of of black women um and and women in general because i promise you that um well and we've seen it I, i can draw a link between them supporting Trump uh, in this election and them having nothing to say about Meg Thee Stallion being shot. 
That, do you know what I mean? It's like I can I can draw a straight line between those two things, and this is and the problem is is this is why the Republicans are dealing with a stacked hand because the there is it seems that there is something maybe Alana you can talk about this there is something uh, as an outside observer in the American psyche that says if I work hard I can be a billionaire that I can become anything even the president if i just work hard enough with no kind of and they're like well the system is it's not supposed to be easy and all of these kind of motivational videos where it's like if you grind and you grind and you you know the system is not there to help you and it's like i watched uh, fences uh a couple of weeks ago in that that iconic scene where um uh denzel's like well you know i did my job which was to put a roof over your head you know i shouldn't have to give you anything else which runs completely counter to somebody like a Donald Trump who has been given millions by his family and the all these stories in the newspaper where it's like, you know, we bought our first house by switching from Starbucks to home exported coffee, but also we had a hundred thousand dollar loan. And and this from our parents. And so it seems that a lot of these rappers are not just kind of anti kind of the black community such as it is in America and anti-women it's they've brought uh, they've bought into this narrative that because they have made it everybody else can but Alana does that seem like something that um, is accurate to the American psyche if America can even be said to have a collective I yeah if we're just going to talk about generally um, I agree and I also think it's even deeper than that. Um, I think it's not just if I work hard enough, I'll have money, I'll have these things. I think particularly in the black community, a community that has been, where much of it is still mentally enslaved, <laughs> mentally colonized, it's, I will be accepted or I will be I will belong. No one can tell me I don't belong if I, um, you know, become a black billionaire and a Republican. <laughs> like it's it's deeper than just getting the bag. It's it's trying to assimilate. Uh, uh, I wanted to ask you guys. I had a question. Um, if you were if you were going to be hopeful about the next year of the American experiment. Uh, what would it be that gives you hope? For me, it would be... It would be if the Democratic Party... I mean, it's hard for me to project like 40 years into the future. Um, to be honest, I just don't have the like historical knowledge and context to do it. But just at least for the next term, I would love to see... Um, the Democratic Party really partner with progressives. Um, and I would like to see it be more youthful because I think that is where the change is happening and that is the fuel for the change that I personally want to see. Um, and if I start to see that those partnerships um, and that collaboration, then I'll feel a little bit more hopeful about where we're heading. Um, for me, I... I I'd like to agree with that, but then that would make it a, a very sort of boring podcast, wouldn't it? And it'd also be entirely out of out of kilter with the rest of my character and thoughts. Um, what I would, I, I, the way the thing that would give me positivity is that I, I feel like 
we know where we are and everyone knows where America stands now. There's no more secrets. We're not going to be surprised by any more votes. We're not going to expect anything more from anybody else. There's a Dave Dennis article that I circulated in the group which questioned whether we have seen the extent of white allyship in 2020 from this vote and I'll just quote a bit of this. Over half of all white people in this country, knowing exactly who he is, decided to re-up. And now we know that this is the very best white Americans have to offer us. At some point this year, we felt like we had allies. We had a summer of white people requesting book suggestions, trying to cash out money to us, and marching in the streets by our sides. This is the most they had to give. And it still resulted in the majority of white folks choosing to keep Donald Trump in office. And I feel like that sort of situation that we find ourselves in, it's it's from there i feel like you know everyone's going into this with their eyes open expectations and hopefully with that knowledge we can the america can get itself into the shape it needs to stop a, a slide into the abyss what about you angelo yeah my hope would be that if you look carefully whilst a lot of the democratic ticket down ballot was very ran very central campaigns which I think is the reason it led to quite disappointing returns on election night Joe Biden actually if you look at his policies and details ran quite a progressive campaign he may not have said it and he may not have co-signed people like AOC directly but he took a quite progressive agenda which I think um, shows that he might be more politically shrewd than um, he's given credit for. The problem is, is that a lot of the people that uh, have these progressive policies, the the playbook against them is to demonise them as characters, which then in turn demonises their policies. But he has positioned himself over the last 47 years of his political career as this centrist. So if he t- adopts those policies without adopting the people he, at the very least, should be able to shift the Overton window back towards something uh, relatable to a centre that doesn't... Because the minute the Overton window is completely warped, whereas if you have this guy that is a centrist that is advocating for $15 minimum wage, that is advocating for um, uh, looser and more progressive drug laws, that that is advocating for... um, correct taxation and taxing billionaires these are small things but the fact they're coming out of one of the two political parties at the top of the ticket is in america quite revolutionary so that's my that would be my hope we've seen time and time and time again across the world no matter how right-wing a government is or how a country views its politics these policies are popular these policies are popular and they're demonised by a select few in right-wing or right-centre parties who don't like... It goes against their ideology and they package it in a way that the public find it unpalatable, but they are popular. Like You'll see this on any vote, on any kind of poll. The people like stuff like this, so it's, you know, that is something positive. Um, I would like to, before we finish, sort of view this through a UK prism and you've seen sort of a couple of weeks of response and predictable parties are siding with Trump and saying oh well it might have been stolen and others are sort of celebrating this as you know US has turned a corner Uh, I'd like to ask you to 
what you think is the significance of this election to the UK and if it will change in any way the sort of course of politics in this country. I think it's fucked Johnson's uh, Brexit strategy. Mm. Um, I think that he wanted to work hand in glove with um, the 45th president to kind of deliver a Brexit that would have been great for um, his cronies and the companies that he has been uh, siphoning money off towards. And um, what he, the, the thing that was always going to screw Brexit is now going to screw Brexit on steroids because Joe Biden kind of leans heavily into his Irish ancestry and was um, has been a vocal supporter of the Good Friday Agreement and has made it very, very clear he will not support any kind of Brexit that endangers the Good Friday Agreement. Um, you know, so uh, I don't know if if that has, is what has led to some of the stories that have been leading the news uh, in the UK with, you know, special advisors leaving. But I think in the short term, they're going to have to make some concessions on uh, Brexit. It also just makes me laugh that British people do this thing where they go, they, they kind of, Britain thinks that every other country, Britain are like the people that used to watch like Jerry Springer or Jeremy Carr, where they're like, at least my life isn't that bad. Um, and they kind of, I think, I feel there's been this looking over to America going, gosh, isn't it awful over there? Uh, Donald Trump is saying these wild things. Meanwhile, we've just had a report come out that no one gives a shit about that shows how um, black people in this country in overwhelming numbers say that they uh, are not treated fairly. We know for a fact that five, that black women are five times more likely to die. We are living the worst version of what's happening over there but because Boris Johnson's got a posh accent it's fine um so yeah I think in the short term um it will uh very much change uh the Brexit that Johnson is able to get I think I'm hoping that in the medium term the very fact that that America has voted its authoritarian racist sexist demagogue out will lead to some navel gazing that, that kind of makes us realise that we are different and in fact in many ways worse than them. What about you Alana? Uh, to be honest I, I don't really know if I can um, you know I don't know if I have enough knowledge of British politics yet uh, to understand what the correlation will be or what the impact is but I can say that just observing um, you know what I've seen in British headlines and just people out on the street. Um, I don't know. I find it really interesting that there's been so much attention paid um, and so much almost emotional attachment from just people in the US election. Um, so to me, that just kind of highlights that, um, I don't know, a, a sense of solidarity, I suppose. And I know, you know, I'm here in London, I live in a little bubble. So that might, might or might not be widespread but um yeah it's just been nice to observe some kind of sense of solidarity and i do hope that like you said it will provoke some navel gazing here because i know that <laughs> they're just as insidious issues here um and in some ways even worse because yeah we don't have um a clown or here just like showcasing <laughs> what these issues are um yeah, yeah. I, I think the difficulty that the the, the uk finds itself 
in and the right centre government finds itself in is that the canary down the mine is now dead and they're trying to figure out just when it started dying because that was the reason why you've seen an increase of sort of barely naked xenophobia which barely concealed this sort of growth of white nationalism that was the reason why Boris feels that he can lean into Trumpism you know back as early as 2016 when he said Obama had an ancestral dislike of the UK because he was part Kenyan um, you've seen you're going to see this scaling back of rhetoric and probably a Brexit deal because he now knows he's going to have to make nice with the with the EU because you know his buddy's gone and it's that it was why it is quite significant on many levels for the UK and you know it's it's just handy that we've got a prime minister who can just blow and change his mind you know with with the, with with the wind and the leaves so I think that's the, the convenient side of it is, is rhetorically and ide- ideologically you're going to see a softening and a changing which is you know it's 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 going to be all very obvious and probably happen very 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 quickly we're going to pick this up i'm sure when there is some kind of another development in the u.s election cycle because this is not over we've done this because we couldn't wait any longer but we'll pick this up in the. In i concede the nothing oh, no. <laughs> oh goodness me uh yeah and those we are black in a box obviously just a reminder the other two aren't happy that we are now recognizing women in the podcast name uh that's why they're not here thank you dom and thank you nate we'll get you next time we out <laughs>